Peace be with you, this lovely moment, wherever and whenever that is for you. The Hebrew word for spirit is the same as breath, ruah, breath, spirit. In our book, Practicing Compassion, which we have been collectively reading, the instruction when we get ourselves in trouble, that is, when we feel unable or unwilling to respond with compassion, is to take a breath, literally to stop and be aware of our breathing. And this brings us into the present moment, into the awareness of spirit, which brings us to an awareness of God, because God is presence and can be found nowhere else but in the moment of breath, exactly where you are. So if separation is the one evil, or sin, or darkness, or however you word those matters, then coming together is life, love, God, gift, blessing. And to move from separation to connection, to be aware of our separation or our connection, is to be in a state of awareness. Everything starts with awareness, which is good news because we sometimes get tripped up on this idea that we need to be good, to do great things, to be something we are not. No, we have to be aware, aware of our state of mind and heart and aware of those around us. Our job is really quite simple. It is to be present in the moment where we are living and breathing and being, without criticism, without judgment, allowing space for God to work in that mysterious and wonderful way that only the Divine Spirit can do. The soul is tended with attentiveness, your soul, the soul of the other, the soul of the world, And is there anything else to be concerned about than this, the tending of the soul? I think not. All comes from this place of attentiveness and flows from it effortlessly when we attend to our soul. We are taking a stroll through the parables this summer, and as I continue to work outside in my garden and on my land, I am drawn to the many agricultural references in Jesus' teaching. He lived, as did those he taught, in an agrarian society, so parables involving sowing and reaping are a natural fit. Jesus always worked with the tools that were nearby offering metaphors that were familiar to his listeners. I will offer you one from my own experience this week. When I am planting in my garden, I will often take trays of seedlings here and there to different beds, and occasionally I will leave behind seedlings in the spot I intend to plant them and then forget I have put them there. So they are separated from the rest of the seedlings on my workspace, which I water faithfully every day, conscious of the fact that they only have tiny little roots. Separated from the others, with the sun beating down, I will find the seedlings weeks later dried up 
and dead. Alone can be difficult. Together, not so much. So I'm very glad we are all gathering together around this little podcast to reflect on the teachings of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, or the way we would like the world to be equitable, inclusive, peaceful, and loved. Glad you are here in this virtual workspace to be nourished. Tend the holy in yourself. Deep breath, quiet mind, presence. All together with all the rest of us, tending the holy in ourselves, tending the holy in one another. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. That I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. Breathe on me, breath of God, until my heart is pure, until my will is one with thine to do. worship comes to us from Joyce Rupp, who is a member of the Servants of Mary and the co-director of the Institute of Compassionate Presence. A spiritual teacher in the Christian tradition, she understands that our own transformation naturally leads to the transformation of the world. It cannot be otherwise. But always we begin with ourselves, which for those who think of the Christian faith as a faith of serving others, may sound counterintuitive, but it is not. 
It is, in fact, the teachings of Jesus to be concerned about the state of your own heart, and from there, with strength and tenderness, in humility, do we serve others. When the heart slowly sinks into the mire of unhappiness, when the mind insistently whispers about could and must and should and ought, when the voice of the less than whole self grows irritable and impatient with the way people are or are not, and with the way I am or am not, let it all be. Move away. Step aside. Go to the inner dwelling place where the Christ light flames endlessly. Stand in the center of that love. Untouched by ego demands, societal failures, shattered hopes, and unfulfilled yearnings. Walk past all that hinders kind-heartedness from glowing steadily in your daily routines. Move into the home of transformation, into that grace-filled, spacious vessel. Be restored, repaired, renewed, regenerated. Come forth with germinating hope and start again with less control, fewer anticipations, and more peaceful receptivity in the container of mind and heart. Welcome the weak, the hardened, the haughty, the wounded, the burdened, the pain. For each and every one of these persons bears the reflection of your shadowed self, your own glimpse of what is yet to be purified in the golden sphere of Christ's love. Let us pray. Open our hearts to you, source of all souls, you whose love dwells within and among us, open us to believe how fully we are welcomed by you each moment of our lives. Open us to carry our union with you to those who are part of our daily encounters. Open us when we are weary, when we resist, when we forget, when we doubt, when we are anxious. Open our hearts to full confidence, to the trust that we have more than enough love to give away. Open, open, open us to the journey of love that is ours. Amen. Our spiritual practice this week is a simple one, catching our breath, being aware of our breath. And I'm going to be reading 
from Chapter 2 in Practicing Compassion by Frank Rogers. This is the book that we have been working with every Tuesday evening. For many spiritual traditions, breath is intimately connected with the sacred and sustaining life force of the universe. Chai in Taoism, prana in Hinduism, lung in Tibetan Buddhism, all refer both to our literal breath and more profoundly to the animating life energy of every living thing. In Hebrew, chrua, Arabic, chru, Greek, pneuma, and Latin, spiritus, the words for breath are synonymous not only with human breath, but also with divine breath. Jewish scripture particularly underscores this. Our breath, the Hebrew Bible suggests, flows from the very breath of God. Humanity is created when God breathes the sacred breath of life into the mud-formed being of the first human. And God's continuous breathing sustains our lives each moment. If God's breath were held, humanity would perish Indeed, some observe that the Hebrew words for God's name, Yahweh, are associated with the pattern of breathing, Yo-ha-ba-way. If spoken aloud, God's name would sound like breath. Breathing itself is a prayer. It is a prayer we have been praying since the moment of birth. Catching our breath, then, deepens our connection with the sacred source of life, the vital spiritual energy that sustains and restores all living things. This life-bestowing energy permeates our existence and envelops our world. It is the sustaining presence in which we live and move and have our being. As Anthony DeMello suggests, the atmosphere is charged with God's presence. Inhale God as you inhale air. Or as the mystic poet Kabir sees it, we are as immersed within God as fish within the sea. This sacred sustaining energy is not neutral towards us. Connecting with it and resting in its currents is intrinsically healing and revitalizing. It is an animating force, a spirit that has quality to it, the quality of life and love. This sacred presence has a pulse. It beats to the pulse of compassion. This sacred compassion is the embrace Jesus describes of an ecstatic father welcoming a prodigal son home. It is the grieving pathos of Mater Delarosa, Mary holding in her lap the slain body of her son. The sacred breath that sustains all life does so willingly, benevolently, generously, and delightedly. And in the same way that our bodies without breath would deteriorate and perish, so too, without sustaining connection with the sacred energy of love, our spirits would wither and die. Without compassion, the soul decays.
different short parables to look at today, all concerned with seed and its sowing. They are simple parables, deceptively simple, for within them are deep truths we are asked to absorb. And sometimes those very simple truths can be very challenging. We would rather go on to more complicated scriptures. But Jesus, he lays things out simply, so we can use our simple minds to try and understand very big ideas about the nature of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what we are trying to bring about into existence with others inside our faith and outside it. But we all have to do our part, and our part includes learning from Jesus the essential elements of this very real kingdom. The first parable is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. It is not found in any of the other gospel writings. Mark was the first gospel written, and the other writers could pick and choose from his work. And apparently, they decided that this was so insignificant a teaching as to be left out. Perhaps they thought it was boring, too simple, Sunday school material for the children, Not so. Have a listen. He also said, 
The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head, and when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle because the harvest has come. So, someone scatters seed, goes to sleep, wakes up, goes to sleep, wakes up for many days, and the seed sprouts and grows, and the person who scattered the seeds does not know how this happened. The earth produces of itself, and when the grain is ripe, it is ready to be harvested. Note that it is someone who scatters the seed. Not an intellectual, not a priest, not a rabbi, not a Christian, not a Jew, not a man, not a woman, not someone in authority, not a farmer, not someone who has special secret knowledge about seeds. Simply, someone. Someone sows seed that is worthy of sprouting, which means that anyone can spread the word of God. Anyone can bring the kingdom into existence. Anyone who sows seed. And what is seed? Something that brings the kingdom of God into existence. And what can that seed be but love? And anyone can love. Someone who goes about and offers a gift of love and then goes on about their day not paying any attention and they know not how, that seed sprouts and there are more seeds and more sprouting and more growing and then there is a harvest and this is God's kingdom. This is a terrifying idea if you think that only certain people can initiate the kingdom of God. Goodness, it's no wonder they killed Christ. The temple had a very elaborate system of who could and would and might and can bring about anything to do with God. And Jesus comes along and says, anyone can initiate godliness, anyone, because it is the loving act or the loving words or look or kindness or graciousness extended that has a will and a life of its own. It grows, he says, we know not how. Mark then goes on to his second parable, equally offensive to those in Jesus' time and in our time too, to those who think of religion and the Christian religion in particular in a certain confined way. It is the parable of the mustard seed. He also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests 
in its shade. A mustard seed. The kingdom of God is a mustard seed. They are everywhere. They are cheap. They are free for that matter because you can find them in the wild. They don't even need to be cultivated. Mustard plants grow up wherever the seed finds itself. I know because I have mustard weed all through my garden and you can't get rid of it. If you go back to the Old Testament, you will find long passages concerning all the particularities of Solomon finding and selecting the finest cedar trees for the temple. Great, big, stately trees that grow to an enormous height. They are magnificent, grand. They live a long time. But Jesus does not compare the kingdom of heaven to a cedar tree or our equivalent, a maple tree or an oak tree. No, it is a shrub. I am betting everyone who is listening to Jesus tell this parable is alternately laughing at the good joke or rolling their eyes at the foolishness of it all. The greatest of shrubs? It is a bushy shrub that grows everywhere, common, common, available, ordinary. Ah, but it shelters the birds from the heat. Mustard seeds blow about in the wind going wherever they want. You can't control them. They are not at the garden center. You don't have to pay for them. Available to everyone, they move about without our bidding. They have a will of their own. A few weeks ago, I planted two linden trees on our property as our big old ash tree, very grand and stately, will not be with us too much longer. So I planted them to replace it. Linden trees are very grand too, palatial. They had to be planted with a special backhoe. They have stakes and mulch and need to be watered every couple of days, lots of fuss. And I was looking at them, because I've always loved linden trees, and was so happy to find two at a local nursery and to have them planted. But I noted, as I was looking at them in their loveliness, that they do not represent the kingdom of God. Not in their choosing, their planting, their cost, their beauty, their grandeur. No. Nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is over in the vegetable patch where the wild mustard seeds are growing at a furious rate. I know not how. And in a warmer climate would surely grow into a shrubby plant to offer shade to the birds. Our third parable comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 8. This one is in all the synoptic gospels. It is very popular, though I fear for the wrong reasons. Have a listen. When a great crowd gathered and people from town after town came to see him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell among the thorns, 
and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell on the good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. This parable makes for good craft material for Sunday school. You can draw great pictures from it. Vincent van Gogh, who I always think had much of the child in his paintings, loved this parable and had a bit of an obsession with the sower, seeing him as alternately man, God, the artist, the eternal in life, and painting some 30 different versions of the sower, which hang in art galleries throughout the world. He was a devoted Christian van Gogh, had wanted to become a minister and loved the gospel stories, as did his brother Theodore, who was certainly the most devoted of siblings. But as is so often the way, it was Theodore's widow Joe who quietly, in the background, was the sower that allowed the tortured life of her brother-in-law to at last shine throughout the world. Van Gogh saw his paintings as his ministry. They are rich in parable and wisdom, and Joe saw their value. Shortly after her marriage to Theodore Van Gogh and the birth of her son, named after his uncle, Vincent Van Gogh shot himself, broken-hearted, feeling responsible for his brother's early death. Theodore died some six months later, and Joe was left a widow in a small apartment in Paris with a toddler and a mountain of paintings no one wanted to buy. Her friends encouraged her to unload them and to find a new life. She resisted. She had seen something in her brother-in-law's paintings that touched her. Joe was a thoughtful and tender person, and her husband's love for his brother was important to her. She made it her life's work to show the world Van Gogh's starry night and haystacks and sunflowers. It was her act of love. In her lifetime, she only sold a painting when it was absolutely necessary, running a boarding home to sustain herself and her son. And on her death, everything was left to her son, Vincent, who in turn donated the entire body of work to a foundation that built the current Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. When we hear the parable of the seed falling in different ways, the simple view is the only seed that grows is that which falls on good earth. Some seed is eaten by birds, some has no nourishment, some is overcrowded. The seed that is sown is love, whether in the love of painting, the love of God, the love of a person, the love of an action, love in the many ways and forms it comes and goes out into the world. How and where? Who knows? But who knows also who and where the good soil is? The good soil is the place where the love is accepted, nourished, encouraged. And who are we to say where that good soil will be? When the beautiful paintings of Van Gogh were piled high 
in a third-floor walk-up apartment in Paris where there was no money and seemingly no possibilities, it might have been a rocky place, a place where the vultures could swoop in and snatch up the paintings for profit, a place where nothing but sadness and misery might continue to grow. But there was a heart there that was of the good soil, who allowed the love poured into the paintings, the love of God, the love of man, the love of nature and color and light, to land in the good soil of a loving and tender heart. And from there, all manner of miracles happened. It is not our job to discern where the seed falls, where it is worthy to fall. It is only our job to be both giver of life and love and receiver of life and love and therefore to be both sower and good soil both. Tend to the holy within yourself. Tend to the holy in others, and you will witness transformation and the kingdom of God right before your very eyes. It's not a march this life, it's a wander down the Your best whistle and a friend Go on and throw your head back Spread your arms out wide Let love and grace abide May your tender trinkets stand pass by Y'all have things to leave behind Broken dreams Little love notes Wasted thoughts and wasted pride Let love and grace abide
podcast today, I feel as though I've been surrounded by a wonderful group of scholars and thinkers to encourage me and to encourage you to lift us all up with their wisdom and strength. Jesus is at the core of our teachings, of course, and the Divine Spirit guides and leads us, yes, but we need others around us to hear their wisdom in a variety of voices. So grateful for their collective work, which was so much part of our service today. And a reminder that this Sunday, June 19th, we will be experimenting with a social distance outside gathering beside the Primrose United Church Meditation Garden. It will not be a service in the usual way that we think about it, but a contemplative gathering with discussion, question, and answer, which is very much in the rabbinical tradition of which Jesus was a part. So join us if you wish, if this is comfortable for you. I will close with a meditation from St. Teresa of Avila, who lived in Spain in the 16th century and grasped the magnificence of the Christ body that is still with us today as she writes in this lyrical passage. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience achieves everything. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ looks out on the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless his people. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Town. 